Welcome to Bible Center Church, and thank you for joining us for this week's podcast. We pray that the Lord speaks to you as you hear from His Word today. Uh, We're going to dive into God's Word here shortly. If this is your first time with us, I'm Pastor Matt. I'd love to meet you. I'll be hanging out in the lobby after the service. I would love to get to know you. Most of our services are geared uh, towards followers of Jesus, helping followers of Jesus take their next step. And so if there's something that I say today you're not sure about or you have questions about, feel free to engage with me again after the service or anytime this week. We would love for you to become part uh, of our circle of spiritual friends. If you take your Bible or your Bible app and turn with me to Romans 16, Romans 16, I'll read that in just a minute. But before I do, I want to invite you to our Belong Membership Weekend. Our Membership Weekend, we do these three or four times a year, and we've got one coming up in a little less than two weeks. It is an opportunity for you uh, to find out more about what we're about, get to know us as a church, so you can make an an informed decision about whether or not you want Bible Center to be your permanent uh, church home. We would love to meet you, get to know you. Almost all of our uh, ministry staff is there, but again, that's two weeks from this past Friday and Saturday, and you can register on the app, you can register online, all the instructions, I think are in your bulletin. But maybe you're wondering, why would a church like ours, why would we emphasize membership? Why would we host a a membership weekend? Is it really that big a deal, right? I mean, like, why can't we just be Christian and a part of the greater body of Christ? Why is it important that we pursue church membership? And is it even in the Bible anywhere? Those are the kind of questions we're going to look at over the next few minutes as I preach kind of a standalone message entitled, Why Membership? Why Membership? Now, I'm going to do my best during this message to be hopefully inspirational, to be informational, to be uh, convincing. I've been working all this week to make sure this is the best message that represents the scriptures possible. But also, not only as a pastor, but as a gentleman, I know that not everybody in this service is going to agree with all of my conclusions. And so when I preach messages like this, I invite you uh, to search the scriptures on your own. I want to give you permission, not that you need permission. I want to give you permission. It's okay for you not to leave today agreeing fully with what I say. But I do hope we can have a conversation about it. And as you look in the scriptures, I hope and pray that it will cause you to take a step of commitment towards the Lord, to the Lord Jesus, and perhaps even towards this particular local church. So let's read the scriptures. Please stand with me as I read Romans chapter 16, starting in verse 1. Paul writes, I commend to you our sister Phoebe, a deacon of the church in Centraea. I ask you to receive her in the Lord in a way worthy of his people and to give her any help she may need from you. For she has been the benefactor of many people, including me. Greet Priscilla and Aquila, my co-workers in Christ Jesus. They risk their lives for me. Not only I, but all the churches of the Gentiles are grateful to them. Greet also the church that meets at their house. Greet my dear friend, Apennatus, who was the first convert to Christ in the province of Asia. Greet Mary, who worked very hard for you. Greet Andronicus and Junia, my fellow Jews who have been in prison with me. They are outstanding among the apostles, and they were in Christ before I was. Greet Ampliatus, my dear friend in the Lord. Greet Urbanus, our co-worker in Christ, and my dear friend Stachus. 
Greet Apelles, whose fidelity to Christ has stood the test. Greet those who belong to the household of Aristobulus. Greet Herodian, my fellow Jew. Greet those in the household of Narcissus who are in the Lord. Greet Trophina and Trophosa, those women who work hard in the Lord. Greet my dear friend Persis, another woman who has worked very hard in the Lord. Greet Rufus, chosen in the Lord, and his mother, who has been a mother to me too. Greet Asyncritus, Phlegon, Hermes, Petrobus, Hermas, and the other brothers and sisters with them. Greet Philogus, Junia, Nereus, and his sister, and Olympus, and all the Lord's people who are with them. Greet one another with a holy kiss. All the churches of Christ send greetings. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. What does God want us to know? I'm going to give you five quick foundational principles that kind of frame in what we're talking about today as we do a quick overview of the Bible. First of all, God wants us to know he created community. God created community. In one sense, God actually is community. In John chapter 14 through John chapter 18, Jesus said that God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit experience community. They experience oneness. They experience the sense of fellowship in eternity past. We say here at Bible Center, the three persons of the Trinity are one in essence, yet distinct in person and office, dwelling in perfect harmony as three in one. All the way back in Genesis chapter 1 and verse 26, God says, let us make mankind in our image. So God is this God of community, and he made us with a sense, with a desire for community. Genesis chapter 2 and verse 18, the Lord God said, it is not good for the man to be alone. I will make a helper suitable for him. This is a great passage for marriage, a great passage for why often we we seek a companion in life, but really it's a great passage for any of us. We desire relationship, we desire friendship because God made us that way. Yesterday I saw how important it was. We went to the WVU game and there's like relationship and community going on everywhere, right? I think I got hugged and high-fived by more people I don't know yesterday uh, than ever before in my life. Even in the bathroom, like people are like, hey man, I'm like, I am not high-fiving you in the bathroom. I'm sorry, I have standards. I'm not gonna do that. Um, But God created us for community. Unfortunately, though, sin broke community. Sin broke community. So Genesis 1 and 2, God created us for community. But Genesis 3 and following, sin broke community. I initially was just going to talk about Genesis 3, but really if you look at Genesis 3 through 11, you'll quickly see there's all kinds of brokenness in the first 11 chapters of the Bible. In Genesis chapter 3, you've got Adam and Eve. They're tempted from the serpent. Later in the Bible, we find out that that's Satan. They disobey. In Genesis 4, their two sons, Cain and Abel, get in an argument. Cain kills Abel. In Genesis, at the end of Genesis 4, we find that Cain's grandson also committed murder. In Genesis chapter 5, there's this long list of, of all the people who, who descended after Adam. And he lists them by name. And it says, this person begat so-and-so, the father of so-and-so, and and this person begat so-and-so. But one of the common themes in Genesis chapter 5, it said over and over again, is that they died. So-and-so begat so-and-so, and they died. 
Genesis 5 was Moses' way of saying death is the result of sin. In Genesis chapter 6, the Bible says, The Lord saw how great the wickedness of the human race had become on the earth. In Genesis chapter 9, after the flood, the story, the true story of Noah that many of us love so well, it says that Noah got drunk and got naked publicly. In Genesis chapter 11, humanity is building the world's tallest idol, the Tower of Babel. So it doesn't take us long in the Bible to realize that, yes, God created community, but sin broke it in a very, very big way. Even today in our own hearts, today, if you're like me, you've probably already sensed the pull of sin and brokenness in your heart. Maybe there's a few of you here that have had like the perfect morning and you haven't felt that yet. Don't worry, it's not noon yet. It'll come shortly. We all feel this pull. Paul says in Galatians chapter 5, the acts of the flesh are obvious, sexual immorality, impurity, debauchery, idolatry, witchcraft, hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, dissensions, factions, and envy, drunkenness, orgies, and the like. I warn you as I did before that those who live like this will not inherit the kingdom of God. Sin broke community. But I'm thankful the story doesn't stop in Genesis chapter 11, but there's also Genesis chapter 12. And that is that Jesus' cross resurrection and ascension made community more possible than ever before. Jesus' cross, resurrection, and ascension made community more possible than ever. When you read the first 11 chapters of Genesis, Moses has given us thousands of years of church history, at least 2,000 of human history, if not, if not more than 2,000, but at least 2,000. And all of a sudden you get to Genesis chapter 12 and Moses slows way down. It's kind of like you're watching this movie and everything's happening really, really fast. Then you get to Genesis 12 and Moses stops and he zooms in on one person and it's the man named Abraham. And he says that God promised Abraham that he was going to have children and his children's children and his children's children are going to outnumber the stars in the sky. And he says that it was through Abraham's children that the entire world was going to receive a blessing. Now, at first glance, you say, well, was that the Jewish people? Is that the, is that the nation of Israel? Well, of course, that's part of the blessing. But this blessing was never intended for us just to assume that God was talking about Israel or just the Jewish people but it's fulfilled in somebody else, one of Abraham's great, 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 great grandsons, according to Matthew 1 and Luke chapter 3. Galatians chapter 3 says this, Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. For it is written, cursed is everyone who hung on a pole. He redeemed us in order that the blessing given to Abraham might come to the Gentiles through whom? through Christ Jesus, so that by faith we might receive the promise of his spirit. The same is true with Genesis or Galatians chapter 3, verse 26. So in Christ Jesus, this is you, if you're a follower of Jesus, in Christ Jesus, you are all the children of God through faith for all of you who were baptized into Christ have clothed yourself with Christ. There is neither Jew nor Gentile, 
neither slave nor free, nor is there male and female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. If you belong to Christ, you are Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. In other words, Abraham, you're going to have a descendant who's going to save the world. He's going to save the world. That was fulfilled in Jesus. Now, this morning, I'm talking primarily to Christians, but if you've never put your faith in Christ, if you've never decided in your heart, I want Jesus to be the Lord of my life. I'm going to commit myself to the Lord Jesus. I believe he, he died on the cross. He rose from the grave. I believe he can save me if I'll call on his name. I ask you to do that this morning. There's nothing we're going to talk about that's going to be more important than you putting your faith in Christ. In your own words, don't leave today without accepting Christ as your Savior and Lord. We have a prayer room over here on my left and your right that will open up after the service. If you want to pray with somebody or ask questions or maybe today you're deciding right now, I'm putting Christ in my life and you want somebody to pray for you as you begin your Christian journey, feel free to stop by the prayer room. Number four, foundational principles. The Holy Spirit's permanent indwelling made community more possible than ever. The Holy Spirit's permanent indwelling made community more po powerful excuse me, than ever. Now let's think about our timeline a little bit about Jesus. We all know that Jesus died on the cross. He was buried. He rose again the third day. What we sometimes forget is that Jesus didn't just go to heaven immediately. But Acts chapter 1 tells us that Jesus actually walked on the earth for 40 days. And then he ascended into heaven. So and during that 40 days, the Bible tells us there was hundreds, perhaps even thousands of people who actually heard Jesus teach. Imagine hearing a sermon by Jesus, right? Like they heard him preach and teach for 40 days. They watched him perhaps, we know at least two miracles that he did in those 40 days. And then he ascends back into heaven. Now, if you were like, if I were there, I would be saying, Jesus, don't go away. Please don't leave. But in the book of John, Jesus tells his followers something that blows my mind. He says, I have to leave. It's actually better if I leave. And you're like, how is it better if you leave? Like, that doesn't make any sense. I mean, can you imagine if Jesus was here in bodily form today, he could walk up to like, you know, the, the dictators of the world and just like, you know, do the Vulcan pinch or something on him. He could like, he could like control, why doesn't Jesus, why isn't he here today? Well, the Bible says there's something better. Jesus said, it's better if I'm not here in person because I'm going to send the Holy Spirit. And on the, the day of Pentecost, 50 days after Jesus rose from the grave, Jesus sends the Spirit. And we have the Spirit living in us that makes community powerful. You see, if Jesus were here, he could only be in one spot. But because we have the Spirit, we can, all of us can have the Spirit of God in us at the exact same time time. It says in Galatians chapter 5 and verse 22, the fruit, the evidence of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such there is no law. The Holy Spirit makes community powerful no matter where we are around the world. The last foundational principle is this. The local church makes community practical. The local church makes community more practical than ever before. 
The story doesn't end with the Holy Spirit just coming and living in random Christians and giving them random power. No, the book of Acts teaches us that the Holy Spirit established the church. Specifically, the Spirit leads men and women like you into local churches like this to make the gospel practical, tangible, more practical than ever. The universal body of Christ is expressed in the local bodies of Christ. The universal body of Christ is expressed in the local body of Christ. Here's a question. How many of you ate Chick-fil-A this week? Anybody eat Chick-fil-A this week? Confess. You can keep your hand up for just a second. You ate Chick-fil-A this week? Yeah, okay. The rest of you are lying. We know you were through the drive-thru. Imagine, okay, most of us like Chick-fil-A. Imagine that Truett Cathy, I read this week that he started it in like sometimes like 1946. Imagine Truett Cathy starting Chick-fil-A, okay, the very first Chick-fil-A. And instead of building a second and a third and a fourth Chick-fil-A, imagine if he had decided, I'm only going to keep Chick-fil-A in this one location. So imagine, it starts to get busy. It starts to build up through the 1940s, the 1950s. And he knocks out a wall and he makes it twice as big. It continues to grow. It continues to get bigger. And so he knocks out another wall. He buys a city block. He builds a Chick-fil-A as big as the Civic Center. Imagine what would have happened if he would have said, I'm never building a second location. I'm only building one location, and if you want to come to Chick-fil-A, you've got to come right here. Well, that would be disheartening because we never would have a Chick-fil-A in Charleston, right? I remember as a kid going to the mall, my sister and I would like go by the Chick-fil-A as many times as we could because we got those free samples with the toothpick. Some of you know what I'm talking about. Yeah, I mean, you could like fill up on those, but get an eight-piece meal with eight trips around the block. But our local Chick-fil-A, think of this, makes the Chick-fil-A brand practical, tangible, and accessible. In the same way, the local church makes the community of Jesus practical, tangible, and accessible. The word church, I learned this this week, the word church is used in the New Testament 114 times. 114 times. Of those 114, guess how many times it refers to the local church like this? Over 90 times. There's two or three that are debated, so 90 is the conservative number. That means people who say, well, the Bible teaches us that there's the global church, and if you're a follower of Jesus, that's all that matters. The Bible doesn't emphasize the local church. There's a Hebrew word for that, baloney. It's baloney. The Bible says the local church is the emphasis of the New Testament. Acts chapter 2 and verse 41 says, those who accepted his message were baptized and about 3,000 were added to their number that day. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and fellowship and breaking of bread and prayer. Everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give anyone who had need. Every day they continued to meet together like this in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God like we just did and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. So what is the encouragement of today's message? What's the primary thing I want you to do? Really, it's just one thing. Today, I want you to become a member of a gospel-preaching, Bible-believing local church. I'd like you to consider becoming a member of a gospel-preaching, 
Bible-believing local church. Church membership is more than attendance. It's a formal relationship between a church and a Christian characterized by the church's commitment to oversee, to assist a Christian's discipleship and the Christian's commitment to living out his or her discipleship in the care of the church. In other words, a church family commits to help a Christian with his or her journey and that then Christian turns and commits to faithfully worship with belong in, give to, and serve with that local church. One of the best descriptions of church membership actually comes from our executive pastor, Pastor John, the guy who was up here singing a moment ago. Uh, John says church membership is like a handshake. It's just like a handshake. It's not, a, it's not something that, it's a handshake. It says, I'm committed to you. I, we may disagree. We may disagree about small things. We may disagree about preferences, but we agree on the core issues and I'm in it to win it with you. And I'm asking you to commit with me. Sarah and I decided to become Bible Center members before I came on staff. It was 2007. I had no idea I would ever be on staff at Bible Center. I had no idea I'd ever be standing on this platform beyond my wildest dreams. And in 2007, we'd heard about what God was doing at this church, and we wanted to be a part of it. And so I was part of another ministry, and anytime I wasn't traveling with that ministry, we were right here. It was in the old building, but we were in church, and we started taking the membership classes on Sundays. It was in a different format then, and then eventually we became members, and I came on staff, and the rest is history. But I can say for the decades to come, I chose this church not because it gave me a job, but because I loved Bible Center. I say this from the bottom of my heart. My goal today isn't for everybody to be a member of Bible Center Church. I can't give you a Bible verse for that. But my goal today is that you will consider and seriously pray about being a member of some local church. If it's not this church, I pray that you'll find a church with whom you can connect and with whom you can do life. I get it. Our church isn't for everybody. God has all sorts of flavors of churches in our city. As long as it's a gospel preaching church, we want to help you connect. But if it's not this church, please find a church where you can dive in, where you can commit, and where you can grow roots and grow old. Become a member of a gospel preaching, Bible-believing local church. Lastly, why be a member of a local church? Why? You say, well, Pastor Matt, it's not in the Bible, you know, explicitly. Where does it say, thou shalt be a member of a local church? That's a great question. And, and I think that's why we can study this issue on our own. And I'm not asking everybody to agree with me. This isn't a sermon on the, the deity of Jesus Christ. But there's a number of things in the Bible that are clearly taught that aren't used words for word. For instance, the Trinity. It's clearly taught in the Scriptures, although the word Trinity never shows up from Genesis to Revelation. Even the words change and meanings change. Principles don't change. And one thing we see in the Bible is that commitment to the people of God is very important to God. While membership isn't explicit in the Scripture, it is certainly implicit for these reasons. Number one, in the Bible, community always requires commitment. Community always requires commitment. You see it in the Old Testament, these principles laid down. Genesis chapter 17, God makes a covenant with Abraham, and he says, Abraham, it's going to be all of me. I'm going to do it all. I just ask. You have one responsibility. 
I ask that you make a commitment to this covenant. And the commitment was circumcision. If your kids are here and they want to know what circumcision is, you can tell them on the way home. I'm not going to tell them. But that was the symbol of the covenant. In Deuteronomy 29, the people of Israel are are about to cross into the promised land, and Moses has them all stand up. I mean, you can see them several million strong. They've just come through the wilderness, almost 40 years, and Moses has them stand up, and word for word, they repeat the oath of the covenant that God gave them on Mount Sinai. It's like the people of God together rehearsing the words that God had given them in the form of a commitment. Thankfully, when Jesus came, he fulfilled the law. We are no longer under the old covenant at all. Zip. Now, many of the commands of the old covenant were repeated in the new covenant. We don't murder uh, because God tells us not only in the old covenant, but in the new covenant. Don't murder. But we're not under the old covenant. We're under the new covenant. But here's the problem. Sometimes when we say that we're not under the law, we're under grace, what we imply is that we're also no longer under commitment. Jesus never said you're not under commitment. He just said you're not under the Old Testament law. The Sermon on the Mount is about a new commitment. We are still under commitment, but it's commitment to Christ. In Matthew 16, 24, listen to the kind of language Jesus preached. Jesus said to his disciples, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves, take up their cross, and follow me. Luke 14, 25, large crowds were traveling with Jesus and turning to them, he said, if anyone comes after me and does not hate father and mother, wife and children, brothers and sisters, yes, even his own life, such a person cannot be my disciple. And whoever does not carry their cross and follow me cannot be my disciple. Those of you who do not give up everything you have cannot be my disciples. Now I wanna talk to you just from heart to heart for a moment and let you know where I am and why I'm so urgent about this. Why is this so important to me? I just wanna let you know why. We live in a culture, I think we could agree, the stats show that commitment is at an all-time low in many areas, the home, work, uh, the hours that we work. Uh, For some, the commitment is at an all-time low for many, even in the church. I believe that God's called us as a church to be counter-cultural. I don't say that a whole lot because sometimes it's misunderstood. When people say the church should be counter-cultural, sometimes people automatically think that we should dress like they did in the 1800s or that we should use big words like they did in the 1700s. That's not at all what I'm talking That's not even counter-cultural. That's just, anyway, I'm going to go stop. That's not what I'm talking about. The culture that we live in is a culture that devalues commitment. Our culture values complaining. Our culture values consumerism. Our culture says, I want everything to be about me, and if it's not about me, I'm going to go to the other restaurant. If it's not about me, I'm going to let everybody know how unhappy I am. That's what our worldly culture is saying. And so when I say I want us to be countercultural, what I'm saying is I want us to be an army of believers that don't think the same on everything, that don't vote the same way on everything, but we believe what we believe about Jesus. And we gather together committed to fulfill this mission. And we say we are going to buck culture 
And instead, we are going to be committed. We are not going to be consumers. We're going to be contributors. We're not going to be complainers. We're going to be peacemakers. That's what it means to be countercultural. I want us to be a countercultural church in the way the Bible defines culture and worldliness. The writer of Hebrews says, let us consider how we may spur one another on to love and good works, not giving up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day approaching. Every Sunday morning, Jane brings me the bulletin and I like reading through the bulletin just to know what's going on today. Kind of gives me a sense of what you're reading. And, and I read this morning how the Woody family uh, they're becoming members, along with the Britton family. But Brett and Heidi are becoming members. And it just some reason this morning, it just jumped off the page. It kind of struck me to think that here's their parents, Brett's parents, were saved through the ministry, at least Mike, through the ministry of Bible Center. And now their children are becoming members, and they're raising their grandchildren in the church. I don't know how many kids they have. It's like 20 or 25. I don't know. They've got a lot of kids. They're raising them, and it's just a beautiful picture of what it looks like to pass on commitment and dedication. May God help us to be committed. Number two, quickly, it's God's strategy for making sure we receive proper care. Membership is God's strategy for making sure we receive proper care. You can look through all the verses on your own this week. But in short, the church knew who was a part of them, so nobody fell through the cracks. Romans 16 is the passage I read a few minutes ago, and I read it on purpose because it's one of the first century lists. It's a membership list. I practiced that list several times this week because the names are horrendous. Uh, but, but it's a list. We, we have membership lists that we find throughout history of the first few hundred years of the church. We have membership lists of church in the Middle Evil era. We have churches in the Reformation era. And we even have lists in the Bible. In 1 Timothy 5, Paul says this about widows. We have a widow ministry here. Paul says, no widow may be put on the list of widows unless she is over 60 and that's what worked for their church. I'm not debating the age. I'm just saying there was a list. He says in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5 and verse 12, we ask you, brothers and sisters, to acknowledge those who work hard among you, who care for you in the Lord and who admonish you. Hold them in the highest regard and love because of their work. Live in peace with each other. How can we do that unless we know who the each other are? It's God's plan for our care. It's God's strategy, number three, for making, gen making sure genuine believers are the ones teaching, leading, and voting in the church. Membership is God's strategy for making sure genuine believers are the ones teaching and leading and voting in the church. In Acts chapter 6, we find this occasion where they needed to raise up leaders. They needed to raise up deacons. And Paul, or the, the apostles knew at that time, it's before Paul, knew that the way to do that was to have the church raise up their own leaders, to nominate their own leaders. And so he says this, So the twelve gathered all the disciples together and said it would not be right for us to neglect the ministry of the word of God in order to wait on tables. There were people who were hungry. He's saying you don't want the pastors cooking. That is still true, by the way. That's a universal law of Christianity. You don't want the pastors cooking. Brothers and sisters... Choose seven men from among you who are known to be full of the Spirit 
and wisdom. Now you can read the rest. Think of that. They're like, look around and see who among you is committed to the mission, who's committed to the gospel, make them the leaders, and then you vote on it. How in the world can we prevent somebody from leading here who doesn't know the gospel? How can we prevent somebody from teaching in our classes and in our groups? How can we prevent somebody from, from voting and making the decisions if they don't know Jesus? The way God planned it is for churches to have a membership. At Bible Center Church, our membership process is very simple. It's three steps. You come to the membership class. You fill out an application. The application is just simply give us your name and tell us when you came to know Jesus. And I, I can agree with where this church is going. And then you have a meeting with a pastor and another elder at, at times. And the two or three of you share, you share about how you came to know Christ. And the goal of those meetings is for us to bless you and encourage you and for you to leave like, hey, there's people actually going to care for me and pray for me. That's how you become a member at Bible Center Church. Number four, it's God's gift to protect our spiritual growth. It's God's gift to protect our spiritual growth. Jesus said in Matthew 18 that when you want to help another believer in your church, Jesus even talked about the local church, he says, if you see another believer struggling, go to that believer and help that believer one-on-one. -on -one. If that believer won't respond to the gospel, respond to God's word, if their heart is starting to grow cold, Jesus said, bring another believer with you. And if that doesn't work, and there's times we've all been hard-headed, he says, if that doesn't work, bring some more people from the church. And he's not just saying, like, get up in a business meeting and somehow, I'm, he's saying, find people with whom they do life. Find people who know them, who love them, and you go as a group and urge them to turn back to Jesus. That's a gift that we all need. The root of discipleship is discipline. We all need disciplined and helped in our accountability to Christ. And then lastly, number five, membership is God's gift to pastors to know the people for whom they will give an account. It's God's gift to pastors to know the people for whom they will give an account. Listen to the words of Paul in Acts chapter 20. Paul says, keep watch over yourselves and all the flock over which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers. Be shepherds of the church of God, which he has bought with his own blood. Hebrews 13, 17, last verse. Have confidence in your leaders and submit to their authority. He's not just talking about one pastor. He's talking about the elders of the church. I'm one of nine. I submit to the elders just like you. I'm one of them on the board. We have a group of elders who lead this church. Have confidence in your leaders and submit to their authority because they, they keep watch over you. They keep watch over me as those who must give an account. Do this so that their work will be with joy and not a burden for that would be of no profit to you. Here's my question. Are there Christians in Charleston who don't go to Bible Center Church? Yes or no? You think there's any saved people in any of the other churches in Charleston? Yes, yes, there's a lot of them. All right, so are those people responsible? Do those people, am I one day going to give an account as an elder here for all the Christians in Charleston? Boy, I hope not. I hope not. We got enough here, right? I hope not. But God tells me to know who's among us. It tells our elders, know who's among you. 
And membership for 2,000 years has helped church leaders do just that. Dr. Jeremy Kimball, professor of theological studies at Cedarville University, wrote this. Joining a local church is not just an idea someone came up with recently to ensure attendance on a Sunday morning. It's a biblically defensible doctrine. The New Testament demonstrates that this membership is not merely in the universal church, but is also comprised of belonging to and being in covenant with a local assembly of believers. God calls for believers to gather locally, administer ordinances, exercise authority of the keys of the kingdom, to fulfill the one another commands, to hold one another accountable, and exercise church discipline. Thus, while church membership is not explicitly mentioned in numerous places throughout the New Testament, one can see that all the items listed previously assume and demand that the Bible calls us to commit to local church membership. Two weeks from this past weekend, we have our membership weekend right here. I would love for you to consider, come see what we're about and pray about which church the Lord would have you join. Once again, thank you for joining us this week. We look forward to serving you in next week's podcast, along with our weekend services every Sunday morning at 9 and 11 a.m.